cut the deficit by $160 billion. Billion. B-I-L-L-I-O-N. <laughs> Here's another one. Teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. Uh, yeah, don't. <laughs> you know what, what's sad is I don't even blame now. I went from blaming Biden and his ridiculous left administration because it is ridiculous, but I've gone beyond that. I don't even blame Biden anymore. You know who I blame? I blame the assholes who vote for him because if you vote for him, you're stupid. Well, yeah, now, and you can say whatever you want about you know Donald Trump is an ass. Oh my God, he's so horrible. Blah, 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 blah. And and cry your little orange man tears. But you know what? When the he was in charge of this country, things were running pretty damn good until they released a China virus on the entire country and everything went to hell. So on the entire world, I should say. But yeah. uh, everything was running just fine with Donald Trump in office. So. Say what you. I don't even blame Biden because Biden is running somebody else's agenda, and he's and the left is running it into the ground. So I don't even blame that guy. I blame the dumbasses who keep voting for him. Teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson: don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the and you see the douchebags behind him. Right? Yeah, go. Yeah. (laughs) Too funny, man. (laughs) Well, dude, it's an 80s kind of a day, isn't it? It is. I am definitely all 80s up here. Um, I, you know, I I knew we had our guest coming on, um, Joel Ellis from the band Heavy Bones. And for my purposes, from Cats and Boots, which I loved back in the day. And it put me down the rabbit hole, man. I have spent the whole day. It's weird because I'm going to be honest. I have not listened to a Bon Jovi song in, well, since Bon Jovi stopped being good. So that would be the 90s, I guess. Man, they just put out this Bon Jovi, the the debut album. Um a reissue that came out i think it came out today actually and i was listening to it a little while ago god damn is that thing awesome i don't know if people people don't remember that at one time bon jovi was a metal band do you do you even remember that time or no no i don't but the the first two records which are the ones that nobody remembers they are heavy like richie sambora was actually a shredder at one point and then then they got soft and started writing girl rock i guess but um man you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you um we have a guest actually waiting in the wings but uh he's just I, listening yeah I, I see him he's just listening he's like oh please don't talk bad it. about me please don't talk bad about my band <laughs> but when it comes to bon jovi i mean look i, I guess i'm a fan kind of but at the same time the the people over at the at the building where I used to work mm-hmm. have such an infatuation with playing fucking Bon Jovi every other song uh, on the radio, whether it's Magic or 106.5 or whatever it is. It's nonstop Bon Jovi. It's, it's sure. almost like whoever's in charge over there is actually having an actual affair with Bon Jovi. <laughs> like I, you know, I'm not accusing anybody of that. I'm just saying it seems that way to me that you know somebody might be getting more than just a a monetary favor for for playing these songs as often as they are. 
Yeah. No, I, I mean, dude, it, it's such a weird thing. And, and you were probably a little too young for it. I, I was, when Slippery When Wet came out, I was in basic training and AIT in the military. So it was definitely one of those that was definitely one of those soundtrack records for me. Yeah. But I was a fan ahead of time. Like I, I had seen Bon Jovi at a coffee break concert outside. It was Bon Jovi and Kim Mitchell at the, <laughs> down in, uh, down at like Tower City or somewhere at some point. So I had seen, seen Bon Jovi and that was in like 82 maybe. You know, it, it was really early on. And I I just remember I was such a huge fan. The first record and then um, 7,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Both you probably don't know because Bon Jovi went on and pretended like those two records didn't exist. And like their career started with Slippery When Wet. Right. They really did. They just ignored those first two records. But, man, they were heavy. They were they were just monstrous. You got to remember that, like... I didn't get really into the 80s metal scene until later on in life. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in in the 80s, you gotta remember in 86, I was 10. Right. I wasn't really, and I lived in Miami, Florida. So it was more like Gloria Stefan for me and Cindy sure. Lauper for the you know, mid early and mid 80s for me. Then the more the older I got, of course, I got into that kind of metal. And of course, my wife now is just a metal girl from the 80s. And sure. Yes, all that stuff. You know, I call you about talking about records that I've never heard of because my wife was like, hey, ask Chris about this guy. Right. <laughs> so I didn't get exposed to it until a little bit later in life. But I mean, I like the music. I dig the music. I dig the music of the guy we're going to have on here. Absolutely. Well, before we bring him on, since we're in this Bon Jovi talk, we will bring him on in a minute because I got a zillion questions for, for Joel and to talk specifically about Cats and Boots, but also Heavy Bones as well. Yeah. But listen to this. I'm going to play a little piece of a so- song, and you tell me that this sounds like the Bon Jovi that you know. All right, this is a song that, that Bon Jovi did on the debut record, 1984, called Roulette. And I'll be damned if this is just not shredding guitar. Listen to this. If I can get it loud enough. Here it comes. go yeah no kidding <laughs> it was like so heavy and good and, and actually and, i like that <laughs> dude I'm, I'm telling you i tell this to everybody everybody that thinks that bon jovi started with wanted dead or alive and ended with living in sin you are you missed <laughs> the mark the mark was these first two records that the band has long ignored I, I'm I I swear by the first two Bon Jovi records and shut up Jackal in the chat room still sucks go listen to Deep Purple then dummy but <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah I, I I just I'm amazed and I guess I get it it's the same as like Def Leppard if you listen to the to the first two Def Leppard records you'd never know that pour some sugar on me is the same band either right you know because they just they just gave it away. I agree. Brittany Fox did rule. 
but not till they switch singers on that one as well. Tesla was great too. And we could talk, we could talk eighties rock all day long. I'm, you know, I'm in for that. <laughs> well, apparently we're going to now, right? Yeah, that's right. Should we bring our guest on? He's early. But yeah, might as well. He well. might have something to say about these bands too. He was in the scene. All right, let's play some of his music first. All right, let's do that. I dig it. I think yeah, it's cool. absolutely. absolutely. Joel Ellis is joining us. Maybe. How you guys hey, doing? Hey, good. what's How are up, you? Joel? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks. Absolutely. Well, Joel, as you, as you heard, uh, you know, I grew up in the era. Seth's a little bit younger. Here's what I remember about your band. And, and tell me if you remember it any differently. I'm sure you probably do. There <laughs> were different. Anything about Bon Jovi. That's, that's all. No, that's fine. You don't want this to turn into a mudslinging. <laughs> no, but here's what here's what I remember. There were def there were definite tiers of bands, and by tiers I mean you know there was like the Motley Crue Rat or more eras I guess. There was the Motley Crue Rat era. Then there was what I call the second tier, which was Warrant Poison, et cetera, et cetera. Then there was this tier of bands that were excellent but never got any love. I'm putting your band in it with Cats and Boots. I would put like Love Hate with Blackout and the Red Room in that in that tier. I would put like Rhino Bucket. I mean, just there was a Junkyard. There was just a, a whole bunch of bands that were great in that era, but I think maybe, maybe because the scene got a little too saturated, yeah. a lot of you didn't get the love that you should have. Yeah. How do you see it looking back at it? Um, well, from my point of view, I mean, you're right. You're right about the, the tears, okay? And a lot of those bands brought me tears, but <laughs> I'm kidding, really, honestly. Um, no, I mean, I was out there earlier. So I was actually, I took my hometown Cleveland band called mm -hmm. Mary Oaks. We used to play all the parties in Bedford. And, um, and then I went out to Hollywood, and the guys in my band followed me out. And we were there a couple of months, and we signed to Atlantic Records. This was before Poison. We were in the first tier, okay? So um, our comrades were, you know, Rat, Yes, Motley Crue, Great White. Jack's a good friend of mine. Sure. Steve was my roommate. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, you know, so um, all those guys, you know, docking. But uh, in 80, uh, 80, so I was there in 86. So then I, I joined Rough Cut for a spell. Okay. And broke, and we were opening for Dio, and I broke my leg on stage. And then I met this Japanese guitar player. We put Cats and Boost together. So when the second tier guys came in, we were already rocking Tokyo. We were over in Japan through that whole second tier. Sure. So I, I missed all that. 
Yeah. Right on. What what years was what year was that? Uh well, we were at Atlantic Records in 86. Okay. And um and then uh we I hit the I, we hit the ground rocking in Tokyo in 88, early April, April or yeah, March or April of 88. We toured for the whole year and uh came back and uh we were uh, we were, we were partying in Tokyo, and I we had record companies. Uh, we had a number one vinyl record that we sold only through magazines, and okay. so yeah, we we didn't have a label, didn't have anything. We just had a little beat up van that we put all our equipment in and slept on the equipment, and that was <laughs> it. And then uh, when we came, we got done with that tour. Uh, I called I called the the Zappa House, you know Frank and and. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, I got a problem. It's like midnight here. And the uh, executives from the label, they're, they're throwing money at us and sushi and sake and geishas. And what do we do? And Frank said, well, Joel, he said, we should all have such problems. <laughs> Just go ahead and take everything that they have to give you. Don't sign anything. And I'll have you a deal before we got before you land on U.S. soil. And uh, and he did. He had us a deal on EMI Records in, uh, in New York. And uh, yeah, we did we did great from there. Now, let me ask you real quick since he brought it up. Of course, I'm going to go there right away. Oh. Um, you were in Japan. How much different is the groupie scene in Japan compared to here in America? I mean, are there literally like <laughs> super hot like Japanese girls wearing like you know like robes and shit that are, you have to you know you're all over it as opposed to the girls here? <laughs> Can we talk about Bon Jovi? <laughs> 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 had to be a crazy scene, no? Had to be. I, mean, I would imagine the cultural difference would be a little bit different. You know, not just the cultural difference, but the the era that we were in. So Japan, keep in mind, they're very, very highly conservative and 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 patriarch society. You know, so um, most of our fans, the first tour in eighty, the first time we got there in eighty eight, the girls were all wearing you know school uniforms. You know, they were all looking like. I don't know schoolgirls, right? That's right? not too. Yeah, that's right. all right. And and they would they would travel the bullet trains from one end of Japan to the other to be at our concerts. And we'd get on stage. We'd be in Tokyo. Then we'd play Osaka, and we'd be up in the north in Sapporo. But we would always see the same girls in the front. <laughs> but <laughs> now, I, I tell people like this, and I don't I don't mean to sound like over uh, glorifying this, but it's true. Um, Beatles, a hard day's night in the eighties. Japan was just waking up. They were just waking up and they were just allowed to go to concerts, but they had never had a tattooed cussing <laughs> Japanese band, sure. you know, and so they would give us gifts of Jack Daniels on stage and they were, they were amazing, but we would come out after the concert and it was just screams and, and uh, it was like the Beatles. It was like that whole screaming thing, which I'd never seen before. It was, it was real cool. I don't think you're giving it enough credit, Joel. And I'm going to, I've, this is probably going to surprise you, but I saw several bands over there in Japan at the Big Egg. Yeah. You know, I, I I went to the Big Egg numerous times. I was stationed in Korea, so I used to take the oh. military flights over to Japan anytime there was any concerts because they didn't come to Korea at that point. That was pre-Olympics. Oh, so yeah. I would go and see Mr. Big or Dokken or Skid Row or whoever it was that was coming. Yeah. Here's what I remember is... Everybody would sit and it was almost silent when you guys would be playing. And right. then at the end of each song, it'd be like, 
with one little <laughs> section where all the military people were, they'd be going, yeah, you know, going crazy. It, yeah. it was always like that. It was such a weird environment. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think it's really changed so much because um, it's part of their culture. I mean, the Japanese culture, it's embedded. Politeness is embedded in their culture. And, um, you know, it, it um, you're right. They, they are they're, I don't know, programmed not to clap between songs because it's rude. But we changed that. We got on stage and we're like, my show. Let's go. Mountain tacos. You know? So uh yeah. Unlike in here in America where the girls will want to make out with you and then have you thrown in jail for making out with them. So it's a tad bit different over here. Yeah. Well, they have uh yeah, no, well, yeah, it's all good. Right on. <laughs> well, Joel, Joel uh, looking back at, at where you guys started or where we saw you start, I mean, Kicked and Clawed was one of those records that, in my mind, you either knew about it or you didn't. And those of us that knew about it really knew about it. And, and it was like one of our favorite records. But it was one of those records, for whatever reasons, we couldn't get anybody else to listen to. You know, it was one of those, you bring it to a party and they'd be like, ah, take that off and put on Motley or whatever. You know, it was like, you couldn't get it to break with people. Why do you think that was? Because you guys had the right moves. You had the right look. You you had the label. You had the MTV. Yeah, we had everything. We really did. And and our videos were constantly, our songs were, you know, I mean, they were always, we were always top, top 10 radio. In fact, uh, or Monkey was on KNAC in Los Angeles for eight weeks. Right. Non-stop, number one. And then uh, it was Metallica that kicked us out of number one. <laughs> so uh, we were, I mean, we had, like you said, we had everything. Um, but, you know, the 80s, remember the 80s was a, a time of excess. And not just in Hollywood, but it was definitely amplified in Hollywood. And, uh, but, you know, there it was about money is what it was. And guys were you know, they would do the Monday morning pitch out and they would send out the songs from the labels that the radio should play. And right. so, yeah, it was very controlling. Um, being a kid growing up here in Cleveland in the 70s, it wasn't like that. You know, the early 70s started off as art rock. You know, you had Yes and Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and Jethro Tull. You know, but you 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 generated fans for life in the 70s. Um mm-hmm. But in the 80s, it was just all about people were just conforming to what was common, you know, except with Cats and Boots fans, because they're still around today. Absolutely. Well, do you think do you think part of it, too, Joel? And and I'm throwing this out there. I have nothing to back this up other than memories, I guess. But do you think that that EMI themselves were not all in on that style? Because they obviously at that point, that's when they were revving up with Queensryche and whatnot. They were revving up a different style that was coming in. Do you think that maybe that was part of it too, that instead of putting all their eggs into into like your basket, they were they were looking more toward the next thing? You know, I don't think so at that time. Um you know, we were we kind of straddled the fence between Capital and EMI, and then we ended up over at Capital. Um, amazing, good time there. Um, but um, EMI was going through a lot of changes, okay, and um, we didn't have the right AR AR A and R guy, 
And so they were they were just they were playing uh, what do you call that you know the cup in the pew or whatever the hell that is you know they were switching <laughs> people around to see you know if you had you know if we, do we got a winning guy in R and B or do we have a winning guy in, in let's switch them so we ended up after um, our uh, original A uh, and R guy he um, he left and went to Geffen or something but they were all buying them out it was kind of like athletes today you know wherever wherever the you know, show me the money. And so these guys that were good at finding bands and honing them in, you know, um, they got swapped up by other labels. And so right after Cats and Boots came back from our first tour overseas, um, you know, we came back to find out that we had an A&R guy who was R&B. And we were the only rock act he had, but they had to because they had to have somebody assigned to the budget. And our budget was big. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How much of a pain in the ass was it being a Cleveland kid and trying to make it out in, in Hollywood back then? It wasn't a pain in the ass at all. I, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade my life for anything. Growing up here in Cleveland, amazing. You know, Cleveland audiences and Cleveland music, the radio stations, MMS, you know, every, it made, made, made me who I am. My buddies and I would go sneak into concerts. You know, it was like, you know, you got an announcement that Zeppelin or the Stones were coming, your blood would bubble, you know, and it was like nothing stopped till you got to the concert. But then when uh, it was, I got, you know, I got in my little sports car, loaded everything up and I was 19 and I went straight to Hollywood. And um, as soon as we got up into Hollywood and my buddies followed us, we, we started throwing out our cassette tape and then we had all kinds of people. I mean, like I said, Dweezil Zappa heard our tape and came and got us. Gene Simmons called the house. We had a little cassette tape phone recorder <laughs> and uh we got home one day we pushed the button and he says oh this is gene simmons i read your tape i want to produce you and uh it was cool about it. he hooked us up with management in new york from casablanca but um the funny thing is is that we lost his number because my my buddy denny spilled beer on the tape machine so <laughs> we never had a chance to call him back you know so, uh, you would have <laughs> given up your soul to gene anyway if you if you would have signed with him <laughs> yeah i mean honestly it was it was within two months of hitting the streets and we were at right there at franklin and coanga man we were right there and within two months man we had uh we had a deal on atlantic with Kenny Austin, great, great a and guy. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, dude, let's let's fast forward a little bit. Um, you know, Cats and Boots had its run, and then you you left and you formed Heavy Bones, which was with two two great great musicians with Gary Hoey, who's a absolute monster on guitar, and of course Frankie Benali, best known for Quiet Riot, and mm -hmm. certainly one of the, if he's if he did nothing else in his life, he was the hardest hitting drummer I think I've ever personally seen. That guy murdered his drum kit yeah. every night. I, I still have dents in the back of my head from his kick drum. <laughs> Not an exaggeration either. Sure. We engaged him in, in plexiglass box after a month of rehearsing. Right we, on. Yeah. Well, the one thing, dude, and, and I got to ask it, who the hell did this art? I mean, come on, bro. What art? Oh, my God. You mean, the, the, you, you're talking about the, the horny clown cover. Yes. Yeah. Who did this? You know we, we, I, we, you know, the original cover of the album was so, so it was a black and white photograph taken from the bottom of a swimming pool, and there was a guy swimming. So we just had the art department remove his arms, and so we, then we called it Bob. So <laughs> that was the original album cover, and uh, and then we left and we went out to Honolulu to do some shows in Hawaii, our first thing, 
And then when we got back, our song 4AMTM was number one on pirate radio. So we did three shows at the Troubadour. All this happened before I realized what was on the cover of our record. And, uh, you know, so the manager, he was a wannabe surfer and he just thought it was cool. He saw that at a surfing competition and next thing you know. So, um, yeah. Anyways, yeah, we didn't really like it, but <laughs> talking about the reissue with Warner Brothers is, is that, you know, I'm working with them to reissue the record and it'll be a double vinyl set. But I told them I'm not doing it. They, you know, gave me calls for three, four, five years. So I'm not doing it unless I get full creative control and I can get that goofy clown monster off the cover and make my own, <laughs> my own fucking cover, man. And, it, you know, and, uh, and then I want to put bonus tracks on it. So that's going to be coming, you know. It's great, man. Well, dude, t- talk a little bit about this um this record that you're that you're um putting out now, the the real heavy bones. Talk a little bit about this and where where specifically did this recording come from? Was it in a in a box somewhere that you uncovered, or have you had it with the intent to release it for a long time and never well, found yeah, the right moment? You're, or? You're, you're a pretty smart guy, you know, with all the tears, and and now you picked up on the tapes. So, all right, third time's a charm. I'm waiting to see what you got for me. Oh no! I, 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 no, I you know what? That's the that's the term of the whole record. What you just said. What's that? Is that the tapes were in a box for like 20, 30 years? Okay. <laughs> and um, so when uh, when 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 Dave Pollock at Warner Brothers said, "Okay, Joel, you can have full creative control," um, and you want to put you want to put bonus tracks, and I'm like, "Yeah." So I went up literally in my attic, and I started looking through old cassettes and things, and I, and I found this box of quarter inch tapes. And that's the machine right there. That's a okay. Tascam 388 machine. And it's eight tracks. So um, we recorded everything in our pre-production rehearsals with that machine. It's all on quarter-inch tape. But the thing of it is, is that those tapes won't play in any other machine in history in the world until right. the end of time uh, but that machine. So I had to look for one of those. Um, and... Uh, you know, back in Hollywood, I think I paid 300 bucks for mine and kept it up in my apartment and we did demos on it. And uh, and then we took it and picked it up and moved it into our pre-production studio and recorded everything that we did. So we just we had five five microphones, you know, uh, you know, we had one over Frankie's head and one in his kick drum. And then we had one on uh, guitar, app, one on the bass. And then I sang. And these were shitty mics. And um, we recorded all of it on that machine. And so um, I said, oh, this is good. We'll put a couple demos on it. And then I met a guy here in Ohio <laughs> who's become my production partner. And he's got an amazing studio that he built by hand. And uh, it's called Defunct Studios. And I went out there to, to do this. Uh, Bootsy Collins wanted me to do a, write a song demo for him for the, for the recent Glasgow Summit. And I went out there and worked with him. And I said, you know, this is a great studio. And so he's a Pro Tools wizard. <laughs> One of those guys. And it just turns out, lo and behold, that he was, um, Frankie Benelli was one of his big influences as a young guy. And so he, I guess he, you know, fell in love with the project. And I, I went in one day and we worked with them. And he artistically took on the recordings where those shitty recordings that have all the, the static and room noise, he eliminated all that. Okay. So he, he isolated everything that we had. Um, and then uh, we put dropped it right back in and uh, just did some enhancements. And uh, this record is raw. It's the only recording that has the four of us playing live in pre-production. And we're having fun. 
and we're slamming, we're nailing the shit out of the songs. And now with the digital reproduction that I'm doing, I'm reproducing this together with Mike and uh, at his studio. And I've got like 60 leftover songs that wow. I pulled out of the box in my attic. And now they sound like a brand new studio recording. It's, it's amazing. I, you know, we're all blown away. And, and then we were like a couple of little kids and we, you know, we sat there, oh, let's do this delay here. Let's do that. Oh, right. But I, I put some new vocals on the record and Gary Hoey, uh, Warner Brothers got Gary and I talking again after a long bout of silence. Um, but Gary and I are, we're, we're buds again. And uh, yeah, we picked up right where we left off from the beginning. And, um, you know, he's, uh, he put some guitar work on the record. And in fact, one of the songs, I pulled Grizz, the bass player from Heavy Bones, from my Bedford, Ohio band, who was out right. on records with me. I pulled Grizz into the studio and he came in and heard a song. He sat down and he just laid down a fat bass line. So there's a lot of new stuff on this record. And the sound quality is amazing. And I haven't, sp I haven't spared any expense. I've had the top of the line mastering engineers and... You know. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, you worked with uh, Mayor Applebaum, who is just, that guy's on everything these days. I mean, he's he's yeah. an in-demand in guy. You know, there's there's certain producers like Andy Sneap and whatnot that are always working. And as far as mixing, Mayor is like the guy. You know, did you know him or did you, you, did know, you just I, I, search for I, him? Yeah, I, I know. I knew I knew about Maor from Chris Squire of Yes. He was a very close friend of mine, very close. In fact, my son's uncle Chris was at his birthday party and everything. But they were making uh, uh, the the latest, the last Yes album in Hollywood, and he was talking about Maor. And uh, you got better pronounce his name right, or he'll he'll, he'll <laughs> right say, "Hey, Maor, it's, it's Maor." You know, so it's cool. Um, but then uh, when uh, I was um, digitizing the tapes and worked with Dan Johnson out at Media Digitizing in, in Burbank. And I, you know, I called him up. Um, it was him or Garth Richardson, I think. Yeah, um, Garth, Garth Richardson, who was the one of the engineer producers on the Cats and Boots Kicked and Claude record. Okay. And uh, he's, there's only one Garth in the world. G -g -g Garth. That's and uh, so, uh, yeah, they, they told me, well, who's the best in the business that I can get down there and do? And uh, they, they just said, Maura Applebaum. And when I heard the name and then I went to his website, I saw all the Yes records and all the Faith No More records and all the records that he had done. And uh, then I called him and we talked and we hit it off immediately. And he just became one of the family on this record. So. Uh, I'm going to jump in with something a little bit different. You grew up in in the... I guess the heyday of what rock and roll music was, kind of. And now today, I always argue with Chris, I think it's kind of dying, if not dead, because stations like even MMS, who's the best of the best back in the day, doesn't play rock music the way that they used to. And the radio scene, the club scene, everything seems to be a lot different for rock. Uh, and then with the streaming and everything, how different is it? How much more difficult is it to get publicity with you? stuff you have going on now oh man you know yeah there's there it is there's third times a charm yeah you know i think the life has just gotten not sucked out of music but pushed out of music you know it all started with poison and, and guitar center <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> kidding, kidding cc um but uh 
Yeah, you know, it. Um, like I said, you know, the, the 80s became about, you know, it was about sex, drugs, rock and roll, money. And, you know, it, it uh, it's too bad because, um, you know, everybody kind of just started, you know, learning their three chords and going out there, getting a can of hairspray. And, and we never subscribed to that. I mean, if you look at Cats and Boots, we're just we're just natural and sweaty and loud and rude. But uh, we just happened to write great songs. And that's another thing that a lot of bands didn't do. They didn't sit down to actually craft songs or try to innovate. You know, nobody was innovating. In fact, the reason that Cats and Boots was even formed was um, that he was like, uh, he played a Les Paul. And he didn't have a giant pedal board. He just plugged into his Marshall. And holy crap, there it is, you know. Um but yeah, I mean, there were still some some artists from the '70s in Hollywood that I connected with, and that first tier that you mentioned, you know, um, mm-hmm. I'd like to include Eddie Van Halen in that because oh, yeah. Eddie just evolved into the '80s, and he just he was he's just a natural genius. And- I think the '80s evolved from Eddie, if you really want to get into it, because honestly, when you look at everybody, when you look at everybody that's considered a, a premier guitar player from that era. Lynch, Demartini, uh, you know, on and on it goes. Even Satriani and et cetera, et cetera. They yeah. all they all took something from Eddie and yeah. morphed it into into their own. Van Halen, for as big as Van Halen was in my mind, does is an underrated band because right. of the influence, and not only Eddie, Alex as well. Yeah. You know, 40 yeah. years later, we still don't have another drummer that sounds like Alex Van Halen, which is amazing no. when you think about it. Yeah, no, Alex was great. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, my ex girlfriend used to play his drums when Eddie and I were messing around. Nice. But, um, yeah, I used to hang out in 5150 with Eddie. But, you know, um, the uh, thing about with, with Eddie had his inspirations too. You know, I'm not a big Van Hager fan, you know. It's, it's, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything negative here, but <laughs> but um, I'm sure a lot of guys agree. But, you know, early Van Halen is where it was at. You know, it was just really raw and, and uh, you know, Eddie was on top of it. And then once again, you know, when Sammy came into the band, it was all about writing these giant, you know, songs, um, you know, love them both. But um, but, you know, Eddie's influences, you know, he, he told me a story about how he was influenced by Bill Lawrence, the guy who invented right. the picture. And so Bill Lawrence actually taught him hammer-ons, you know, and uh, so that's where he started with it. And um, he had a lot of influences from way back, like Django Reinhardt and other guys. But um, the guys, most of the bands, and I was actually there to feel it and witness it, is that a lot of guys were inspired more so by Randy Rhodes. So you got a lot of later 80s guys that were really inspired by Eddie and all that, um, you know, with the shredding thing. Guys that in the earlier tier that were it, that were uh, it was more of a songwriting and a more of a that that heavy you know um, that heavy Van Roth sound and um, and so uh, you know because Van Halen would play the Starwood in Hollywood it was just they were like another local band so I um, I think Randy Rhodes really influenced a lot a lot of a lot of people there um, you know and um, you know I think that that goes for a lot of people like Zach Wild and a lot of different guys. Um, sure. You know, but um, I think in the 80s, a lot of bands right after that first tier, and I'm going to exclude Cats and Boots and Heavy Bones from this, but I mean, everybody, their influences didn't go back more than a tier. <laughs> you right. know, you had all those bands that came that you mentioned, you know, 
uh, mm-hmm. Warren, Boys and all those guys. I love those guys. They're nice guys. But but you had all these other bands that were inspired by Warren Boysen, like the Britney Foxes and all that, you know. And then you got, mm-hmm. you know, and they were, but you know, Motley Crue came out, kicked down the door, rightly so. And um, and then Rat. I mean, Motley Crue and Rat, where they they pretty much controlled the strip back in the days. And then you had the guys from Ozzy and Dio's band, and uh, you know, it was uh, it was a beautiful scene. Everybody everybody met at the Rainbow. That was our kitchen and our living room. Right. <laughs> you know, and our and our in our in our in our, our, our uh, strip joint too. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know um, yeah, well, you know, it was like uh, you drank too much to go down to, uh, you know, to crazy girls, and you know they would come up and right uh, <laughs> and take just, care of things. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so sad because music is just not going to be like that ever again. I don't think now. You know, yeah, you, you I, can't go out to the club like and, and play the new song. You got to put it on fucking Spotify and, and hope that you get a couple of downloads from people. And it's yeah, no, it's shitty. Everything's shitty. Everything's thin, shitty. And um, MP3s are like the standard of music. I mean, like, hello, you're only getting eighty-six percent. I mean, you're only getting, <laughs> you're losing eighty-six percent of your music. You know, by by going with an MP3, you know, it's um, it's very thin. And um, and that's why you know I really fought to make sure that we had good quality, big fat wave files. You know, we're, we're borderlining, you know, high res on this record. Um, you know, you want those deep lows, you want that separation, you know, you want that big stereo uh, vibe in your songs. You don't want everything pulled into like a little tuna can and right. download on your phone. And, it, you know, again, it's about memory and ease of it and sales. Um, but I, I think what's happening is, is that kids are in such a hurry nowadays, you know, and, and they don't have mentors. You know, I mean, that's one of the things I, I hope to be is, is a mentor that's, that opens up to them. Um, and, um, you know, I just, I don't think that they really dig far enough back, um, in that, you know, and another thing too is, is that people look at a lot of the, a lot of the production stuff, all the, the, the effects pedals and, and everything else. And, and, uh, and they don't realize that all all those bands from the sixties and seventies, they, they were innovative because of the tone, the type of wood that the guitar was made out of. Mm -hmm. The way that they played, I mean, I don't care what kind of effects you give Jeff Beck, you're never going to have another one. But how long do you think it took for Beck and Page to actually evolve like that? Yeah, you know, so I, I just don't think that they have it here. I'm not trying to be negative. I think that we need a resurgence of that kind of stuff. We, we do more, more kids playing in a garage again and getting yeah, absolutely. Out and doing stuff. Absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my, my advice to parents is lock them in the garage. With a couple of full stacks, Marshalls, and a couple of Les Pauls, maybe a Strat, and uh, throw throw meat under the door and just leave it. <laughs> yeah, but you know what else? You, you know what else you have to do? You have to take their phones away from them and tell them to stop giving away the mystique. They give away. You know, I I'm I am as as big of I love music. I love all kinds of music, and yeah. but I I can't even as somebody that loves probably way more modern music today than most people i can't fully get into it because i already know everything about a band whoever the band is that i like they tell you everything they tell you where they eat what they like who they're listening to there was something about axel i remember the days when guns and roses first exploded and there were stories upon stories and i have no idea if any of them were true or not about destroying 
destroying stages, destroying rooms, fucking five chicks at a time. I mean, just crazy stories. And and it was like, well, get to the bad. There was no, well, but I, I'm not saying it was bad. What I'm saying is, I mean, you're talking about lunchtime right now. Well, I mean, I, but the problem, break. what I'm saying is, today in today's world, everybody's putting on every little move onto Facebook or Twitter or oh, yeah, yeah. or whatever. There's no mystique. There's no mystery uh, to anybody. This is the I me mine generation. Yeah. And, you know, um, but you know what? We, we called them in Hollywood. We called them posers. You know, like <laughs> when we lost our drummer. We, we did a, We did a cattle call for drummers and these guys would show up. I shit you not, man. They'd come and they would come over and they didn't even have drumsticks. They would just open up these and say, look, and here's my pictures. Don't I look good? And you know, we'd stand there in spandex from here up to here and be like, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, but, we, you know, I mean, but nowadays everything is digital. And you can't tell, even with AI, that's some bullshit, isn't it? You can't tell if it's really somebody playing or, you know, and my, you know my, my producing partner, Mike, will tell you, he's got a studio. You get these bands in there, and one of the things I think he said that he was so impressed with is I can't believe that I haven't had to hit auto-tune once with you guys. And um, it's just raw. You're playing live, and it's really, really hard to believe. And, um, you know, he'll uh, he'll tell you. Um, maybe I'll get him on here one day. Sure. And, but, um, you know, it's, you know, the band will go out there and record, and then, you know, they go outside and drink a 12-pack while the engineer makes them sound good. And that's just... To me, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's just a it's a lost art making. Well, it's not only is it weak, but then even if you do like them, that's the worst part. Is if you do like what the what the engineers do, and you go see them, they blow because they're not very good. They're not yeah, good yeah. enough to record, and it's terrible. Yeah, it's, it is, it is, and, and that's that's definitely why I when I came here and found Mike, it was just like, psh, you know, nope, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want I want the password for the studio. You know, loaded everything in there. Um, but um, no, it, it's true. You know, um, everybody's in a hurry. Everybody wants to get rich without doing their homework. Um, you know, when I was doing it, you know, you had second and third. You had you had understudies to the third engineer, who all he did was go up and get a cup of coffee and come back. But these people dedicated their time. Nowadays, you know, these these kids they, they run out to Guitar Test Center and they they bring something back and they're like, I want to be a producer, and they don't take the time to study. I mean, back in the day when in the '80s we all had that fat book, you know, the recording. What is it? What was that book? You remember it? The, the one they had the microphone and the tape on the cover. Oh, the Bible. What was it? Yeah. yeah, I forget what it was, but I I, I remember everybody did have it. It was. Yeah, the, I mean. You go to the Bible Belt, everybody's at Bibles. You come to Hollywood, everyone has the recording. Notes. <laughs> right. And a rhyming dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it was cool. Back in the day, metal magazines and your pictures were everywhere. People knew who these guys were. In fact, I was talking to my wife last night. I was telling her that you were going to be on, and she has a twin sister. One, she made out with Eddie Van Halen. So that conversation made me kind of uncomfortable talking Everybody about it. Everybody's made out with Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> but then, two, <laughs> she goes, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. Me and my sister had his picture on our wall. And then they pulled this <laughs> picture with you with these, you know, these the hair, it's all curly, you look all buff and sexy and stuff. And I was like, all right, maybe I'm not going to have this guy up. <laughs> what? You mean to say that I'm not buff and sexy anymore? Well, I mean, the room's kind of dark, so I can't no, see not, it all that well right now. We're so. not getting a kiss. That's 
was like, all right, well, I'm great. I'm, the woman will barely look at me, and I'm her husband, and she's telling me about the pictures she had of you on her wall. So, yeah. yeah. You know. Well, you know, hey. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'm, you're, you're back in Cleveland now, right? What's that? You are back in Cleveland? Doing I am, and it feels great. You know, I came back here to uh, – you know, to help my mom move, and uh, I just fell in love with the house I grew up in, and it's you know, it's it's a it's too big for me, um, but it's just home. And and I came back, and I, you know, my buddies took me out when I got back here, and they showed me around Cleveland. We drove by Edgewater, we went to some clubs, the Bandbox, and a few others. We went down the flats, and it was just like Jesus, you know, you know, when I left here, it was you know, it was a pile of rust, and uh, you know, and. Um, it's amazing. And, and the music's come back. Um, yeah. I mean, I wasn't even here two weeks and I had, um, you know, our councilwoman, <laughs> Hey Sandy. Um, and, uh, she grabbed me and said, Hey, you got to play on the, on the, on the square in Bedford, you know, get your band and, and come play. So I had to grab a bunch of my buddies that I played with as kids. We threw a band together in a week and we went out and played a set at the, uh, the Bedford square. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we can't thank you enough for coming on tonight. Oh, yeah. You guys, too. You know, I got to tell you, this is in all of my career. I'm talking back in the day when Michael Stanley and all of our bands were playing the local clubs. Sure. Um, you know, I left for L.A., went around the world, had global success, but never got an interview in Cleveland. Why really? is that? You guys answer that question for me. <laughs> yeah, every, everybody wanted to talk to Billy Morris instead. So. <laughs> Well, okay, here, Billy. <laughs> you know Billy? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of his uh, his guitarist uh, Aaron is a good friend of mine. He's, he's a good dude. Everybody seems to know Billy Morris. Everybody you know, knows I Billy. Really well, I'm you know, but anyways. Um, Thanks, man. We appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we'll do a part two whenever you um, we'll talk about all the girls that kissed Eddie and. Uh, <laughs> Nice. I knew many, but you know, Valerie Bertinelli broke a broom over my back one night. <laughs> I was out. I was out in uh, the studio with Eddie all night, and we ran out of beer. And um, so, you know, thinking that it's still dark outside, we'd go and I got some beer in the fridge. And um, we opened up the door to the studio, and it was noon. You know, the sun was coming in, and so we went in to go get those beers. Um, it wasn't noon. I think it was just sunrise because Val was still sleeping. But uh, we went in and we got the beers. And as Ed was handing me the 12 pack, the carton ripped and beer went all over the floor with a big thud. And, uh, you know, <laughs> instead of getting out of there, we were like, let's get the beer. And, and, and then we got down. We were underneath the kitchen table. And all I saw were two fuzzy slippers. And I was like, Eddie! You know? <laughs> and, and he looks at me and goes, get the beer. And he shot out the door. So here I was with my T-shirt full of big cans of beer trying to get out the door. And oh, she just, ow, right over my back. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But we're going to wrap it up, man, playing some uh, some heavy bones. Yeah. Uh, thanks got... again, man, for coming on. What are you going to play? Uh, what do we got, Chris? You love uh, Let me 4 a.m. 4 a.m. Great song. All right. All right, brother. Great thanks, show, Joel. man. Thank All right, thanks, you Joel. Thank you Thank you. See you guys. Bye.
everybody, it's Don Dockin. When I'm feeling nostalgic, I always go to Pinball PA. You gotta go check it out. It's a lot of fun. When you want to have fun in Pennsylvania, there's only one place to go, Pinball PA. Located near the Pittsburgh airport, we have over 420 classic pinball machines and arcade games that you can play. Admission starts at only $24.99. Want to have a party? Well, there's no better place than Pinball PA. Visit our website today at www.pinballpa.com to get more information or to book your next small or large party. Pinball PA, it's where the action is. Advertise your business or service today on The Seth Williams Show. We offer video commercial advertising live and in rebroadcast of our show daily. Commercials are permanently placed within the video on demand segments of our show, which are available on the CMS Network, YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and CMS TV. Web graphic advertising is also available on the SethWilliamsShow.com. Get your business, service, or band the recognition it deserves by advertising on a great show like The Seth Williams Show. Email us at sales at thesethwilliamsshow.com today. Let us work with you to improve awareness about you. He was good, man. He was fun. Like yeah, he, had, he got a lot of stories. I, I love talking to those guys that were like in the scene at the time, man, because yeah. so many, uh, you don't realize that they were all, you know, they were all kind of together. Yeah. You know, we, we think of them as like this glut of bands, but really they all were hanging out down at the whiskey or the rainbow or, you know, Gazaris or whatever back then they, they all did and they all knew each other. There's that band London. I don't know. You probably don't remember them at all, but London, I think two thirds of the musicians that, you know, from the eighties were in that band at one time. Nikki Six, Blackie Lawless, a Wasp, um, some of the Cinderella guys I think might have been in and out of that band. Um, just a glut of there's like thirty guys and like twenty of them went on to have success in other bands. It just it it it, it was that how the Hollywood was at that point. It would be a fun time. It would have been a fun time to be around for stuff like that. There you go. How about that? Well, that might be actually happening. <laughs> Pinball PA concert. We, we've we've put the idea together about doing some stuff. We're probably gonna do some, um, something with my with my business partner um, Johnny Giuelli, who was in the band Hardline. That most people you probably remember Hot Cherie if you, if you if you heard that song. Now, why not a Pinball Ohio? By the way, why not? Yeah. Well, you know, if somebody has an extra. I don't know, 300 games laying around. I'll, I'll happily open another one. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really about supply. It's, you know, Pinball PA was opened. The games were, most of the games were my friend Ed's. And he lives in Pennsylvania. So Pinball PA was formed. And, you know, I have, I have bought plenty at this point, but I still don't have 400. I probably have like, 35 or something like that that i own now and um you know and it, it, 
I don't know that I could do it again. I don't know that I could start up another one. <laughs> 35. I want one for my house, man. That's all. This has been like a, a bucket list goal of mine is to have like one. To get a pinball machine or an arcade game? Or arcade game for my home. Like a stand up one. Dude. Dude, awesome. I have a, I have one that I, I literally, if you find somebody to get it, I will give you. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I asked my wife. I've been asking her for years. It was a, a pinball store in North Olmsted. Uh, yeah, yeah. Might be called a pinball store. I don't even know what it's called, but I don't know what it's called. But I think I've been there when I was. And a kid. I went looking, and I was like, "Oh my god, dude, these things are like four or five thousand dollars a piece." I'm like, "Jesus, right. four or five, dude, that's nice." The Iron Maiden that that we bought for pinball PA, yeah, twelve k. Oh, twelve thousand dollars. But that said, if you, dude, if you want arcade games, I'm I'm dead serious. If you you get somebody to come over here and get it, you can have it. I have a. I have a, it's like a 60 and one. It has 60, 60 or 70 games on it to play. I don't think I've turned it on in five years. Really? The last time it was turned on wasn't even by me. It was um, my friend Stephanie was over here. We were, me and her husband, John and John's brother, AJ, we were all watching um, WrestleMania or something, some wrestling pay-per-view and Steph was with them. But she didn't want to. She didn't want to watch the wrestling because she couldn't give a shit. So she sat over in the corner playing Burger Time, on on the thing. She played Burger Time all all damn night. One of the best <laughs> games of all time. <laughs> yeah, but it has all those games on it. it has that? It has Mr. Do. It has you know Dig Dug and Asteroids nice. and all that shit. It has everything on it. It's everything hey, you want. You you want to hear a, uh, another good video that I found? Sure. I might have talked about that because you know, I love. Dude, you can have it. I'm I'm dead serious. I've been looking for I, looking to get rid of it because it just sits in my living room. I just love stand up kind of game, which is ironic for a guy that's in a, you know has one leg. I like the stand up games. Now it'll be a sit down game. <laughs> it'll be a sit down game. <laughs> right, let me see if I can find this video. Okay. It, it's nothing to really get on the topic about, but this is just something I found today that the left loves how you know Biden's doing, right? Mm-hmm. Listen to this guy. Let me just make, make sure this is the right one. Okay. No, that ain't him. That ain't him. You might want to stop flying. Nope, that ain't him. Well, I put it up here. Uh, he'd been conducting interviews with migrants who crossed into the U.S. Your reaction to that answer, soon you will know who I am. If you are smart enough, you will know who I am. But you are really not smart enough to know who I am. But soon you're going to know who I am. Uh, they have to consider whether or not uh, there is an invasion going on. I have asserted. In- that is a migrant who recently came over the border. The border because our fantastic president decided to tell Texas they can't have razor wire at the border anymore. So they took well, a forklift and lifted up the razor wire so immigrants could stream in. And they were by the hundreds underneath the razor wire that the Biden administration lifted for them. That is a migrant that came across the border who said, soon you will know my name. You know who that guy is? That guy's been in jail for 12 years for arms dealing and terrorism. And he is now in our country roaming the streets because our administration that's in the office now, you don't like Orange Man, but you now have a terrorist and many of them roaming the streets freely. And that guy made a threat. Should we say thoughts and prayers to the um, to the families of those that are going to have dead dead relatives shortly? Hey, as long as you know we don't vote for orange guy, 
I, I guess the country's a better place. Oh, yeah. People are morons that are voting for, for Biden. I don't know how you can do it. In good conscience, I don't know how you can do it. Because First you don't like the way a guy acts or tweets. You're going to vote against the country. You're going to be a traitor to our country and, and, and do that kind of thing. That's what you are. You're a traitor to this country. I think you're going under a very large assumption that a lot of people voted for that fucking idiot. Well, I know a, a bunch personally that did. Yeah. And you know what? They're to blame. Not Biden. Oh, yeah. Biden's just a tool in this whole thing. You voted Biden for and whoever printed the ballots. <laughs> yeah. They, they talk about Trump being a dictator. This fool that's in office now decided that even though the Supreme Court said you cannot pay off student debt for, for college kids, that he's just going to wave his little magic wand and do it on his own. He yeah. did it again. Mm-hmm. Why? To buy votes and because he is the yeah. dictator. I saw him, I saw I saw that he posted on um, Twitter his, his celebration of it. I my administration forgave one hundred thirty seven billion dollars of student debt, which, by the way, you weren't allowed to do because the Supreme Court said it was illegal. Yeah. Well, he found the loophole. How about forgiving some homeowner debt? You fucking yeah, he's, cocksucker. He's the dictator. Well, and he's got the dick part down. Yeah. I mean, he, def- it's, it's, it's he definitely shot. has the dick part down. He's a fucking dick. I, mean, I, I just don't get it. I, I don't. I don't. I can't imagine that there's 80 million people that thought that are well, just there's not. Stupid. But again, I there's know people not. personally that, that, are, that vote for the guy. And are willing to million- do it again because Dude, they there's... don't like Orange Guy. Let So... If you believe the numbers, sorry, YouTube, I guess you can ban us now. But if you believe the numbers, there was 160 million odd people that voted last time, correct? Yes. So that would mean one of every two people voted for Biden. Yes. Do you know one of every two people? If you put 10 people around you, did five vote for Biden and five vote for Most of them voted for Trump. Yeah. I, it, it's it's a straight lie. I don't give a goddamn what YouTube or any of these these people say. It's a straight lie. There's no there's no valid proof of the count. None. They, None. they voted for this. They voted for this. Cut the deficit by 160 billion dollars. Billion. B i l l i o n. Teach Donald Trump an, a valuable lesson. Don't. Mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. <laughs> yeah, I, don't I, you dare. Got it. Meanwhile, there's a bunch of women behind him cheering. Yeah, he said something. <laughs> That's really what they're cheering. It, he said so something. The women that are cheering behind him are against. Uh, or, or I guess pro-abortion women that will never have children. Nobody ever wants to sleep with those women that are behind them, and they're the ones that are cheering on. Well, the thing that the thing that is always crazy to me is like like in that clip that you that you just showed. This this buffoon literally said nothing. He said, "We're gonna teach Donald Trump," and the people are cheering like he said something. What did they hear that they're like, right on? Good. That's yes. what I feel too. That's the I mean, message I want to send to Donald Trump. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. 
What are they cheering? They're mindless morons. They, they, there's probably an applause light somewhere, and they're just mindlessly to cheering to it. It's so stupid. Oh, my God. Staples actually sells staples. That would be like if she said, oh, my God. And she just ran down an empty road. That's the same as Joe Biden. Because he's running down an empty road, an empty thought road. This fucking guy doesn't have a brain cell in his head. (laughs) So who is going to run? Will it be Biden or Michelle Obama? Michelle Obama. It's going to be Obama and Newsom. And we're doomed if they win. Oh, my God, are we doomed. This country is doomed. If we're doomed, I'm buying as many guns as I can. (laughs) I'm going to invest every last nickel I have into bullets. I'm going to be hanging out with Art McCoy. (laughs) Yeah, right. He's probably the best person to hang around with. Yeah. People still want to talk about video games, it looks like. Well, I'll talk about video. I certainly know a little something, something about them. You know, I don't know. I I just, I don't play, you know, it's the weirdest thing, dude, because I own this big place, but I don't really play very, I don't play video games at all. Like I I have a, I guess it's a PS4. My son gave it to me at some point. He gave it to me so I could watch movies because I bought the Porky's movies because they weren't on streaming at one point and I wanted to watch them. So, but once I watched them, that was kind of it. That thing has sat dormant for probably three years. I haven't turned it on. At all, I'd probably even longer than that because I think the last time I turned it on was before COVID. See, I love video games. I, I just have trouble finding time to play it. I bought an Xbox One. Okay, it was the last system I bought, and I think they have like a di- couple different systems since then. Right. But I, I bought this damn thing, and it was a lot of money, man. It wasn't cheap to buy that stupid thing. And then when I get it, I get it home with the amount of memory that was on that stupid game system. I was able to download like two and a half games. That's it. Right. Two and a half games. <laughs> and then they, I said, well, there's got to be something wrong with the machine. And they're right. like, no, no, no. You need to buy an external drive. <laughs> I was right. like, wait a second. I just spent like $400 on a gaming machine. And now you know, it used to be you just put a disc in, yeah. play your game, and enjoy it. Take the mm-hmm. disc out when you're done. No. No. You have to download disc one. <laughs> you have to download mm-hmm. disc two. By right. the time I'm down, done that one, it takes like six hours to download something. Right. And then after I was done downloading, I didn't really like the game. But now what? Now I'm stuck with this stupid game. <laughs> like, yeah. It, now you're stuck with a game much, that man. you just spent $60, 60 bucks on, you know, to, to own, to quote unquote own. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I know. Dude, it, it, it's it's crazy. I, I hate how it works now. And it, it's, it, it's, I'll Is tell you PS4 this. the same kind of way? Yeah, I, I, dude, I'll tell you how how long it's been for me. the The only thing I really have on, I have two games on it. I have, um, or maybe three. I think I have a baseball, basketball, and um, Madden, Madden football. But my quarterback for the Browns is Deshaun Kaiser. That's how long ago this game came. That's how long it's been since I played. That Deshaun Kaiser is my quarterback for the Browns. So. You know, it's. I just, I, dude, games were so much fun. Again, 
you just put the damn disc in, you mm-hmm. play it. When you're done, it saves, and then you, you go on to the next game you want to play. But now it's just it's so ridiculous. Well, now it's it's you know it's so real to life, and you know you got they look expansion great, but... packs and all this other shit. It's like too much. But they look great, and that's fantastic. They do. It's just one, it costs a ridiculous amount of money to play video mm-hmm. games, and two, it's just such it's it's annoying. Well, not only that, that's why I like the good stand-up ones. You just play. Yeah, well, and, and the funny thing is now is now a lot of these games have their own um, economy too, to where like you you like spend money to buy things in the game. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's like I, I think Red Dead Redemption Two or whatever the the that game. Yeah, I have that, and, and and you have to buy like stuff, don't you? Like you have to like pay like money to to have pretend money so that you can buy a shovel or whatever. I never even got that far into it because it was just so annoying having all this stuff downloaded. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm just, I feel like an asshole doing it. Right. I mean, that's why this uh, VR thing that I got now, this Meta Quest 2, which is probably mm-hmm. stealing every bit of information that I have. <laughs> but I'm okay with that because I don't really have much. <laughs> so right. You, can, you know, if they want to see, oh, yeah, it looks important. Okay, fine. And yeah. okay, <laughs> so everybody else. Um, yeah. But so really, they're not getting much out of me. But I mean, it's super cool and like really super easy to use. And isn't, uh, I mean, but again, if you get a game, that's fine. But inside it says when you get the game in app purchases. <laughs> so it's like, oh, yeah. Well, how good is this game going to be? I'm spending $30 on a game. I, why do I have to buy more shit? Yeah. Well, you spend $30, that'll get you through level one. <laughs> yeah. But then you so have the to buy day, it for each level. Yep. I had downloaded a roller coaster game for this uh, for VR. Now it's mm-hmm. pretty sweet because you know, like you literally see all 360 degrees around you, dude. Okay. So you get, as you're going up the hill, you can look behind you and see rocks fall behind you. you can see Do you feel like you're moving? You feel like you're moving. There were times where I had to take it off the first time I played it because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to fall out of the wheelchair. And right. So it's very, it's very intense, and the graphics are awesome. It looks really real. And it's cool because you can pick like a character to sit next to you. I like picked a prisoner zombie or some shit like that. But you see the guy sitting next to you in the, in the chair in the, like the the actual roller coaster. Okay. So it's awesome. But right. when I opened up the game, I got two tracks. The rest of them are all locked, and I have to buy them. <laughs> and so I saw one. I was like, I thought it was unlocking like the entire game, and it said like five dollars or something like that. So I bought it for five bucks. Next thing I know, there's one extra track that's been right. There's like 20 tracks I could pick from, but it's like $5 a piece. I'm not spending $100 to ride a VR roller coaster. Yeah, it's dumb. For that price, you might as well pack up and go to King's Island and just ride a regular one. <laughs> right. I mean, it's super fun. I mean, it's it's very cool. And having like Netflix is like the greatest thing ever to watch on this VR. I'm telling you, if you like watching movies and shit, you, when you watch YouTube or Netflix on VR, right? one, YouTube actually has 360 videos you can watch. Okay. But Netflix is like super cool because you put it on and then all of a sudden you're in this giant 360 degree living room. Right. With, you're sitting on a couch and there's popcorn in front of you, movie-sized screen to watch Netflix videos on. And it's awesome. Oh, that's pretty cool. Dude, speaking but- of Netflix... Did oh. you see their big purchase yesterday? I did. Five billion dollars. Oh my god! Five billion for 
WWE Raw. Just for Raw, not SmackDown and not the pay-per-views. Now, forgive me because, you know, I watch. I used to be a super huge fan. I know you are. Sure, I, I am. I watch it. But I used to be a super huge fan. Now I'm a casual fan. Mm-hmm. But isn't Raw like the second tier below SmackDown? It, it is now. SmackDown is definitely the bigger show. But I have to, I have to believe that they're going to flip that because I know SmackDown is leaving Fox. SmackDown is leaving Fox, and it's going to um, where is it going? I think it's going to USA Network. It's going to the USA Network, and NXT, which is like their minor leagues, is going to the CW Network, <sighs> and. Um, and Raw is going for five billion with a B over to Netflix. Now, so making that kind of money, making five hundred million a year, you know, all the big names are going to be over there on Netflix. Well, that's, well what, that's what I was going to ask. Now, does that mean like all the real popular guys are now going to switch over to Raw? I mean, how do they do that? You know what? They go back. And they I do a good job of writing over there, but I, I, you know, I don't know what they're going to do, dude. At, First of all, the WWE is in the best shape it's been in forever. Yeah. Because it's like even two years ago, it was it was unwatchable bad. It just was lousy. And they booted Vince McMahon out because he just aged out and plus he was, you know, banging his secretaries and whatever and then paying them <laughs> off with company money. So once they sold to um TKO Endeavor, which is the same company that owns UFC. The first thing those people did was threw Vince Vince McMahon out the door. He's like some kind of honorary position, but he has nothing to do with it anymore. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, so he's not writing for the show or anything anymore. He's out. And since he's been out, the show has gotten a lot better in a hurry. Now, and The Rock came back, right? Did he come well, back to he, Raw or did he come back to SmackDown? He comes back wherever he wants. You know, I, I, I think he came back to SmackDown. I mean, that's the that's the Rock show. That's where the, you know, layeth the smacketh down. That was the rock that said that. So SmackDown's yeah. his show. So um, I don't remember which one he came back to. It doesn't matter with him. He's a part-timer. He doesn't matter. Is you he know, wrestling or is he just going to hang out? He's going to wrestle in WrestleMania in whenever that is, April, I think. You know, he'll he'll wrestle in that. He'll fight probably Roman Reigns, you know, who's like the been the yeah. champion for four years or some stupid number well that's what i was gonna say i've been watching again kind of half-assed but i still watch mm-hmm. and I, it's like they don't change a whole lot <laughs> not a lot of titles change hands it seems like well i'll tell you what man between the the two dominant wrestling companies they both got it wrong wwe never changes belts and certainly they never change a belt on, on anything but a pay-per-view Right. Almost never, which makes it why watch Raw or SmackDown? Yeah. Nothing's going to happen. You know, the only time anything's ever going to happen is on the pay-per-views or the premium live events, as they're now known. By contrast, if you go over to AEW, which is the one that I continue to like better, AEW seems like everybody has a belt. They got 3,000 belts. So there's, <laughs> there's, there's three different sets of um, tag team champions. There's a TBS champion. There's a TNT champion. There's a global champion. There's a 
ROH tag team champions and trios champions for men's and women's for both Ring of Honor and AEW. I mean, there's so many belts. Everybody comes out wa- walking with a belt, and it, it it's impossible to know who's actually good. See, I loved what, what was the Fiend. Didn't he die? Oh, yeah, the Fiend. I don't know if he, he died, died, right? I don't think huh? he died. Oh, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, Bray Wyatt. Mm-hmm. Bray Wyatt died, right? Mm-hmm. I thought that was incredible. I thought he was a great character and everything else that was fun to watch. Yeah, it was. The bloodline thing is killing me, though. It's just kind of like, okay. Man. It was good for a while, but it's over. It's and just it's done. Just, to me, it's run its course. But. Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. And they need to stop. They're, they just keep branching it off into different iterations of the same shit. So I watched today. See, I was a fan back in the early WWF days. Junkyard dog days. Like, I saw a video today on, was it? On TikTok, because everything mm-hmm. I watch is on TikTok. Right. But again, stealing all my information between MetaQuest and or Meta and Facebook and and TikTok, <laughs> all of my information is now Chinese owned. Right. Um, which is fine. Do I get a discount on the domain? Not yet, but I will. Um, <laughs> but I saw a video of when Hulk Hogan beat the Iron Sheik to win like, the WWF championship. I got 82 or whatever. Yeah. Which, changed wrestling from that sure point did. forward. It did. I mean, it exploded with Hulkamania, and it was incredibly fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yes. To me, it's still fun. I Then I got into it again a lot when it was the the Rock and Stone Cold era. Yeah, I mean, I remember the, going everybody to see, loved the Attitude era, of course. I remember going to see uh, WWE at the, uh, whatever it was called back then, the Gun Arena or the Q or whatever it was. And they ended up because it was so silly. It wasn't like a big, you know, match kind of thing. It was just some dumb mm-hmm. thing. They were house shows. It's just a house show, really. Yeah, sure. And they had the Rock that was there, and Stone Cold was there, and they put a piano in the middle of the ring, and they started singing songs together. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it was just funny shit. It was like the greatest. That's fun. Uh, so I, that. I, I, it's good entertainment. It is. It is. I don't know. It's $5 billion worth of entertainment for one show, but yeah. (laughs) Dude, you would have thought that they would have learned their lesson from watching that playoff game from the NFL, man, the NFL, they put the one playoff game only on Peacock and it did like a third of the viewership of every other game on the weekend. Yeah. It was awful. It did terrible. I wanted to watch it. Couldn't. It did awful, but, uh, Hey, bravo to bravo to WWE. If they can get somebody to pay them that kind of money, Amen. I don't blame them for taking it. I would get naked, sit here, and eat sushi all night long for $5 billion. If somebody Hell yes. Um, Absolutely. Speaking of food. Yes. I think it's time. Is it time? It is time. All right. For our favorite segment. That's right. Let's go. Seth, I'm here live at 1899 in Shaker Heights. It is a simulated golf bar restaurant. We've actually have done our show here before. You can pan and just actually see this place. They have full bar. The restaurant is open seven days a week, morning till evening. They have bands Fridays and Saturday nights. And they have the greatest thing really cool here. All of my favorite bourbons. Oh, I love bourbon. 
So the place that I just walked out of, they have like a little secret speakeasy, which you become a member here. So it's a monthly charge and you can leave your bottles in a locker and just take your bottle out, bring it to the bar, they open it up, they give you ice, they give you a glass, and you have your own personal bar here, which is really cool. So I'm gonna show you what they have going on. This is the simulated golf. So they have bays downstairs, and they also have them upstairs. These actually used to be three stores right on Farnsley and Chagrin Boulevard, Warrensville Center Road. It's right behind the Van Aken District. As you can see, you hit right into this screen, and you can play any golf course worldwide, whether it be local, Pebble Beach, North Carolina, Hawaii, just by the screen, you pop it up, you can play six people, it's per hour, they have specials throughout the week, throughout the month, and you can go to $18.99 right on the internet, get all the information. $18.99 means it was the first public golf course right here in Ohio that started, and that's how they started with the name. Tony Masasha reporting for the Seth Williams Show. Guys, I'll see you soon. Now, that looks like a great place. Welcome to the show, Tony. Gentlemen, how are you? Hey, Tony. I got great place, great, man. I got a great gig, don't I? Yeah, not too you bad. Do. Not too bad. <laughs> so not how, many, how many holes did you play while you were there, Tony? Actually, you know, it's kind of cool. So I played at X-Golf. Matter of fact, I took Joel Ellis there. We went there a couple weeks ago. So it's kind of cool to, you know, get back to my childhood friend who you just had on. Yeah. which was really neat. Um, and I'll talk about him in a moment. So um, that particular place, you can actually have six people playing and it's $60 per hour. So they have a full bar. You can have food right there, breakfast, lunch. You can play 18 holes with six people. It probably takes, again, you're talking and drinking and eating. It's probably about five hours. Um, okay. And again, you can do nine holes or you can do seven holes whatever you want it's really a great cost of entertainment for only sixty dollars for you know a group of friends yeah that's not bad i mean even, bad even if you yeah. even if you did the full 18 and it took five hours i mean yeah three hundred dollars is not a whole it, lot for it, a no. half a day's entertainment yeah. that's not bad yeah and uh and again there's great food there they serve you right there you have cocktails there um Hayden Grove is actually playing there. I text you that stuff yeah. this Saturday evening. So they have bands right in the corner of the place. So every Friday and Saturday night, there's live music. It's a great little entertainment place. And they're popping up all over now. And obviously, you know, it's winter outside where it's become a really cool destination. If you're a golfer that I am, you play summer and spring, well, now you can take your clubs and you can go play at this place. Hey, real quick, I forgot some... Um, Joel forgot to tell you guys, if you're interested in getting his music, you can go to go to joelellismusic.com and you can purchase all of his music right from there. Very so cool. I know that, you know, he smoked a little bit and drank a little bit so over the years, so he forgets things. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Joel. I know he's watching. 
See, I, I want to try one of these golf places. He was great, by the way. Joel Ellis was fantastic. Joel oh, Ellis music. Joelellismusic.com. Check it out. But um, I might want to try one of these golf joints like where you were at because I can't really go walking the, the course anymore. And you know, driving a cart might even be difficult for me. Something like that would actually be kind of cool. I can't slip and fall. It would be kind of fun. And, and you know what? Obviously, Top Golf is one of our sponsors on my Flashpoint show. So we're right down the street from there. I'd love to take you guys one evening. It'll be fun or one morning. Let's make it that'd happen. Be great. Yeah, that'd yeah. be fun. Great. So, hey, I'm glad. First, before I talk about 1899, let's talk about Art McCoy. What a great segment. He is unbelievable. That was great, him talking about Cleveland, his history, his book, and him getting thrown in jail. I love the line. When you're in jail, you'll call anybody. If you're an yeah. athe- if you're an atheist, you'll be praying to Jesus Christ. Please bring me a checkbook. <laughs> because I was there. I got thrown in jail for a little uh, for a large amount of marijuana. And who did I call? A Democrat, my friend Jimmy Demora. And I got the, right. and I got the T-shirt to prove it. <laughs> Yeah, Art was great, man. We really enjoyed having Art on. He did. Uh, he was know, fun. Some people like to give him crap, and, and they don't understand. Like somebody, I was talking with somebody online about him, and I said, "Look, you don't. He, I disagree with most of what he says, sure, and what he believes. But off the air, I think he's just a good person. He's fun to talk to. He'll he'll shake your hand, he'll hug you, and he'll be there for you if you need him. He's a nice guy. Yeah. And he even on has, the air, and even, even on the air, there are some reason he had I liked. But yeah. it, but even if you didn't, he he doesn't attack you, you know. It, it's not the typical. Well, you suck because you believe this, and you suck. Yeah. You know, he 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 shared his opinions. We told him where we didn't like some of his opinions, but he he wasn't attacking, and neither were we. It was actually a conversation. You you know, I've been on his show many times. Actually, I've been in the studio because obviously the same studio that we are on, Flash mm-hmm. and I, fourteen ninety WRE. And on a Sunday night, I mean, obviously it is a black-owned radio station, but he it's amazing how many whites call in there. He is actually the common man for Cleveland. And he's mm-hmm. like he had said, Chris and Seth, he's just trying to help this city out. Here's mm-hmm. a guy who's like in his, you know, whatever, 80 years old, late 70s, and he's been born and raised in this city. They still the city's still so freaking screwed up. They haven't figured it out. Yeah. It's a shame. And you know what? God bless them. You know what? Hopefully it happens. You know, another great point about this when uh, Trivisano talked to him in his office and said, Art, I know you're a little serious, but you got to be entertaining. And that's exactly what you and I know about this industry. You oh, got to yeah. be entertaining. Otherwise, yeah. you're done. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, hey, real quick, somebody wants to know an update on the. Uh... The Corvette. How's the Corvette doing? The Corvette is gone. My Corvette really? actually is totaled. I'm looking at a new one. So unfortunately, when I got in that accident in September, it was uh, $9,000 in damages. My body guy said, forget it. It's not even worth it. They smashed the tire right inside into the axle. There was a lot more involved and God, I missed that car. It only had 50,000 miles on it. Oof. It was a 1986. Ugh. The girl that hit me did not have insurance. So I'm fighting that. Hopefully she loses her license. And even if she doesn't, I got her address. I'm going to go to her house and punch her in the nose. 
<laughs> you might not but, want to do that, Tony. <laughs> no, no, no. But guess what? I am going to get a check. So thanks to Elk and Elk, I'm suing my insurance company for uninsured motorists. So just a lesson. When you get insurance, make sure that you have uninsured motorists on your policy. And I know my couple of friends that work for Progressive are listening to this and they're shaking their heads and nodding. Yes, make sure you got unless you know your car is beat up and you just have liability only. But of course, make sure you got insurance out there because you'll lose your license. It's it's a law in Ohio. Hey, check this out. Hi, Tony and Seth and other guy. Hi. Oh. From Paris. <laughs> oh, Paris. This is so cool. So I was at, um, I was going to say National City Bank. I was at PNC this afternoon, and I was on the phone with Seth, and Paris used to listen to Seth and Trivisano many years ago, been a longtime loyal listener. So I said, you got to tune in. I'm going to be on Seth's show. I'm on every Wednesday with Seth and Chris, and er, yeah, there it is. Or Hi, other Paris, I'm now known. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Paris. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. That is so cool. So, Paris, next time I'm there, just give me a couple stacks of hundreds. Thank I was going to say, you know, <laughs> and a couple for the guy over here. You know, a couple and the for other the guy. guy. A couple for Chris. Right. <laughs> so, that's so funny. Um, well, 1899 so, looks like a great place. Yeah. On, so, yeah, let's, um, so actually 1899, they also have another one in Twinsburg. So you can make a tea time anytime from where is it in Twinsburg? So I, I believe it's on route 91. You know what? I have not been it on that one, but I'm almost positive it's on 91. You okay. have to look it up. Again, it's 1899 is the name of it. I'm going to have to, if it's on 91, my house is two minutes from nine, from 91. So Jesus. Yeah. I need to, so, I need again, to go play golf. You know what? And I got some connections. So again, guys, when you're ready to go places, you know who to call. Cause everybody knows Tony. That's right. It's a, so, Hey, on one more Glenwood thing. Boulevard in Twinsburg, Glenwood there Boulevard. I don't know where that's, that's at. But. One street over from my house. Is it really? <laughs> and oh, I don't yeah. know where it is. <laughs> and Chris, do you golf? Yeah, sure. Oh, good. Yeah. You'll have to, I'll have to go out sometime. Well, Matter I'm not fact, good, though. That's I'm, not, right. I'm not a competitive golfer now. That's okay. We'll go out and grab a bottle of vodka. I'll grab now some kettle one. We'll bring little John, and we'll have fun. There we go. There you go. He's my greatest golf partner. Yes, it's so much fun. Yeah, That'd we have great. a great time on a Sunday morning. So again, when you go to 1899, you have to, it's not just, it is restaurant food. They have great breakfast. They have great sandwiches. Um, and of course they have, my favorite, they have every bourbon you can imagine. Nice. So I love my Manhattans. Yeah. So, yeah. And again, they really, it's, and they're very um, personable. And they also have golf lessons, too. If you want to okay. learn how to golf, you can go there and you can uh, learn the greatest game in the world that you can do the rest of your life. Even on one leg, Seth, there's people in that golf that are amputees. See, I'm telling you, so I can do it. We're, we're going to get you out there. Amen. Yeah, let's go. It's a, absolutely, it's a wonderful place. So, hey, one more thing. I want to give a shout-out to Ricardo Rodriguez. Um, I met him today at Lucky's Bar and Restaurant which is on Memphis. I was dropping off product at Dina's Pizza and I pulled into this place. It is an American, um, American, Irish, Dominican restaurant. 
Talk about a great combination. Wow. They have all kinds of foods there. So they had a frozen margarita machine on the board. And of course, they sell margarita mix. So I'm talking to the owner. So we're dropping off pina colada mix there this week. Talk about a great salesman. It could be as cold as can be, and I'm selling some shit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. So, hey, real quick, tell before you go, uh, Michael says, tell Tony Biden may have a Corvette with some documents inside. <laughs> he does have a, you know what? I love to own that Corvette that he owns. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He's got a beautiful Corvette. So, uh, anyways, again, you can tune me in every Saturday morning on Flashpoint 1490 WERE between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock with Ed Flash Ference, the iconic broadcasting guy that we all know and grew up with. Right on, right on the radio. Awesome. So, we got to get him on this show too. Absolutely, yeah, that's that's gonna happen. I want to talk to cool. that guy. You know what? I got Chris Ellis on. I got Art McCoy on. We got to get a lot of people on. I'm gonna start making some phone calls. Nice. Flash, I want to talk to. Hey, I mean, I love the what? guy. I know the guy, but I want to talk to him on this show. And Chris, I want my advertisement on there. Everybody what? knows Tony gutter cleaning, window cleaning, chandelier cleaning. Send it's me a graphic. I'll put do. that together. Let's do it. I'll do it. The, I'll just, I, yeah. know, I didn't know that we that you had asked. No, let's make it. No, I, this is the first time I'm asking. No, okay, yeah, know, let's do it. I'm, I'm like the intern here. I just get paid <laughs> by food. <laughs> well, that's more of a paycheck than that's we get. That's what we're so. getting. <laughs> we get paid by no. looking at food. <laughs> that's yeah. where we got to build this audience. And we will. It's going to happen. It only starts. Only by one listener and one viewer you get there. Ask yes, Mike Trevisano that, right? Guys, right. enjoy. I will talk to you next week. We're going to be at Southeast Harley Davidson. Oh, great. All right, Tony. Thank you. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks. All right, Tony. See ya. There goes Tony. That was fun. Hello, Montoya. Look at us bringing in new listeners. That's right. Well, Tony bringing them in. Yeah, look at that. Tony bringing them in. I love the way the segment's playing, though. Yeah, he loves. He gets paid in food. I would kill somebody to get paid in food. Yeah, no kidding. Show. Are you kidding me? That's what I said. We get paid to look at food. I'm, I'm That's how we're paid. To, I'm almost willing to put my address up here on on the screen so maybe people can send us some shit. <laughs> because you know, I'd rather if, if I'm not gonna make anything, I'll take like a, a something. Give me some eggs, Benedict. I, I hate to it. tell you, if you put your address up there, you're going to get 600 pounds of asparagus. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, well. Well, I appreciate Joel Ellis for coming on today. Yeah, it was great. And uh, Tony Masaccio, as usual. Monday, uh, God willing, we'll be talking to you. Who else? Do we have any on Monday yet? It's not confirmed. It might be that that new metal band that I shared with you. Profile. Primer band or profiler. Profiler. Yeah. Yeah. Might be, but I have not heard back. So as of now, no one. But well, we'll see. Well, we can we'll scrounge up. We'll have somebody. We'll get somebody. Yeah, we'll and that, although that band is pretty awesome, dude. So I, I kind of like their sound. Which one? That, that profile band? Yeah, yeah, they're really. Uh, you know, for for people that don't know who they are, which is everybody that's listening except me and you. Right. Um, I would, if I had to compare it, I would say it's like a cross between like Lincoln Park. And Deftones. Yeah, I could see that. It's that's got, that's uh, kind of where I would put it. It's got a little heavy, got some melody, a little everything. Yeah. What do you mean? Don't. What is Natalie talking about? Me jinxing it? Because you said the segment was great. Oh, I, I've been begging to do that segment that way for six months. Yeah. 
The segment is different now. It's better. Yes, much. It's it's absolutely a great segment now where you see a little bit and we could talk to Tony without it sputtering or going out or anything. I love it. I think it's great. Now we're actually, you know, learning about the places instead of me and you laughing about how bad the internet is. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, thanks everybody for listening and uh, God willing, we'll talk to you on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. And uh, thanks, Chris. See ya. See ya. Oh,